Amen, amen, and amen. Well, we want to welcome you to Liberty Church today, and especially if you're a guest, I'm not sure if, I don't remember doing this earlier, but if you are here for the very first time, would you just wave at me real quick so I can see who you may be? We've got a few in the back, a few over here. Can we give them a hand clap? A few over here. There we go. Woo! Welcome to Liberty Church. As we get ready to uh, take a dive back into the Word of God, we're going through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 10 today. I want us to pray for our time in his word, but we also have uh, a prayer request. Pastor Roberto Miranda of Lion Judah Church suddenly passed away uh, yesterday of a heart attack, and uh, a sister of someone who is a vital part of our church uh, attends that church. We want to pray for Lion of Judah Church and the Miranda family that God's hand would just be upon them this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And we lift up our brothers and sisters at Lion of Judah Church, Father God. Lord, we pray that, God, you would just meet them there today, Father God, as they gather, as the news is shared, Father God. Lord, as, as Lord, their hearts, Lord God, are broken before you, I pray that you would show up and shower them with your peace, Lord God, that your presence would be so felt in that place today, God, that you would come alongside of them. Lord, especially the Miranda family, God, we pray that you would encourage them today. May their eyes be set upon you. And Father, we pray that you would show your grace powerfully there today. Father, be with us here as we continue in the book of Romans, allowing your word to speak life into our hearts, our souls, and our minds. We prayed in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. We're finishing up chapter 10 this morning. Next week, we will uh, begin chapter 11, which will kind of summarize where we've been over the last few weeks. And then right after that, in chapter 12, we begin to pivot in a new direction. As I reminded us last week that the epistles are a letter. This was a letter written to the church in Rome, Christians in Rome. And so it's a letter. There were no chapter breakdowns or verses. And so how many of you know when you write a letter or you write a long email, there can be several different themes to that letter or email? So we're finishing up a theme here this week and next, and then Paul begins to pivot just a little bit in his letter to the Christian church in Rome. Here in chapter 10, as we come to the end of this chapter, Paul in his letter uh, is talking about or talking to those who possess personally the gospel message, the gospel message. As I look around this room, I know of many of you who personally possess the gospel message, and Paul has been trying to communicate that this gospel should move us into action. In other words, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, if you've come to the cross of Christ and received what Jesus has done for us on that Christ, having paid for our sins as our sacrifice, having taken our place on the cross, and our confessing him as our Lord, at that moment of salvation, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us, and his spirit moves us to action. And that action is to tell the world about what just took place inside of our hearts and our souls. That one day we were without peace, but now we found relationship with Jesus Christ and peace is all over us. Amen? Our circumstances maybe didn't change. Uh, maybe, maybe we're still looking at, at, a, at a job change or a relational issue, or maybe we're still facing a health issue, but where we didn't have hope, now in Christ we have hope. Amen? So we're finishing up chapter 10. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call upon him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Now this good news is not just good news, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, it's incredible news, amen? And not only is it good news and incredible news, but it's an incredible truth. The gospel is incredible truth. What Christ did for us on the cross can truly change our lives and change our destiny, change our eternity. Now, the nuance of this Greek word gospel literally means that this news is almost too good to be true. 
It's almost too good to be true. It's hard to believe. Last week, we ended our message with the story about a cake mix that all you had to do was add water. If you were here last week, you remember that story. They spent a lot of money on marketing this product. They were proud because all the tests said, hey, this is good cake, but it didn't sell. So they went back to the drawing board, and if you remember, what they, what they discovered is it, it had to be too simple of a recipe. So they took the egg out of the mix, and they added it as an instruction. So now you have, instead of just adding water, you have to add an egg and water to the equation. And it sold like cra crazy, proving their point. The first way was too simple. People just couldn't believe that a cake would taste great by only adding water. But having to add one more ingredient, which was already there anyway, uh, they believed that, wow, let's give this thing a try. The gospel's kind of like that. You're telling me that all I need to do is confess Jesus Christ, believe upon what Christ did for me on the cross, and all my sins are forgiven? Yeah, that's the simple message of the gospel, Jeff. That's what changed my life. That's what changed many of your lives. And that's why we need to go out into all the world and we need to tell them about what took place within our hearts and lives. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the scripture says. Look to your neighbor. You know that they are in church, so there's a good chance that they have Christ in their heart. Look at your neighbor and say, wow, you have beautiful feet. No, 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 don't take your shoes off. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Leave your shoes on. We can pretend that we see through those shoes. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful because we know the power of the gospel message that has touched our hearts, changed our lives, began to transform the way we think. Paul often refers to the gospel as his gospel. Why would Paul make such a boast, such a claim? Remember how Paul received the gospel message, how he received this revelation. He was actually on the road to Damascus, and Paul was not yet saved. Paul was Saul at the time. He was an elite Jewish leader, and he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He had participated in having Christians put to death. He had had Christians put into prison. He had ridiculed them. He had, he had just really been horrible towards the Christian church, and he was on his way to Damascus to do the same thing, when all of a sudden his trip was interrupted. Directly and personally, he had an encounter with Christ. It wasn't an apostle, it wasn't a church leader that came to him and spoke that message, although that would have been a powerful moment, but it was Jesus Christ himself who interrupted Paul's trip to Damascus and revealed himself to Paul personally and directly. Galatians 1, 11 through 12 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. This personal encounter with Jesus was an abrupt awakening for Saul, who Jesus renamed Paul, and Paul went on to become a mighty, mighty representative for the kingdom of heaven. Wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. His life completely transformed and changed. One day, he's off to persecute the church in Damascus, and the next day, he's in that same town, but now he's not there to persecute. He's there to learn more about Jesus Christ and this encounter that he had. In fact, Paul wrote about it so extensively that he took claim to this gospel because he wrote so much about it. Or let me say it this way. This is a better way for us to understand it. He took a serious responsibility for this gospel that it changed his life. It, you and I might not could relate for taking claim to the gospel. You and I might would never do that. Pastor Tim, I would never take claim to the gospel. But we need to take note. We need to take a serious, re serious responsibility for the gospel message that we've been given. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news travels through you and I, our feet, as we go, as we obey God, as he leads us, guides us, and directs us. 
whether he's leading us to our neighbor's door or whether he's leading us to our coworker's cubicle, I'm here to tell you today that he operates through your feet as he leads you and you are faithful to share your testimony and to share the power and the glory of the gospel and the message, the good news. It's a simple message. It's a very simple message, but its power can change a life. Amen? How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Paul lived it. Paul breathed this gospel, and it was because of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, as the scripture says, that Paul's life was changed, and so can your neighbor, and so can your coworker, and so can your son, and your daughter, or your aunt, or your uncle, or your mom, or your dad, anyone you know who doesn't know the powerful love, grace, and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to hear from your mouth the good news of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In our text this morning, Paul is powerfully trying to punch us in a nice way with this truth. He's trying to get our, our attention. Hey, this gospel is powerful. This good news has to be passed on in order to be received. The reason you and I sit in this church today is because someone told us the good news. Maybe you happened to make your way into a church and sit down just arbitrarily and you heard the good news being preached by a minister or a missionary. But somebody, a friend, a parent, somebody told you the good news about the gospel it has to be passed on to be received, and once it's received, it's the only time or the only place that the power of the gospel is fully released. You pass it on, someone receives it, and the power of the Holy Spirit goes to work on that person. People cannot look to Jesus, or people cannot look to Jesus for eternal life if they do not believe on him. The scripture says that we must believe and confess in the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot do that if they do not believe in him. They cannot believe in him unless they hear about him. And they cannot hear about him unless someone is willing to bring them the good news. People need to be sent. People need to be willing to tell, to share their story, their testimony. Someone needs to be willing to open up the word of God and share the story about how God sent his son into the world and he gave his life and paid a penalty that they could not pay for their sin. People need to know how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I just want to say you have beautiful feet this morning. If no one had the boldness or the guts to do that when I asked you to, I just want you to know I think your feet are beautiful. And how beautiful are those feet that are willing to bring the good news to a lost world. There are 7.0 billion people in the world today, and there's close to 2.8 billion of them who've never heard the gospel message. I know that seems impossible in the day and age that we live in with all the access that we have to the internet and all the different forms of information that are out there, but statistics tell us that out of 7.8 billion people, close to 2.8 billion of them have not heard the gospel message, and they will not hear it unless there are people like you and I who recognize how beautiful our feet are, and we're willing to go and to share the good news with them. Paul's words at the end of, end of Romans 10 and verse t, uh, 15 is a quote from the book of Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The world may not think much of this gospel message or the Bible that declares it. The world may look upon it as an annoying book because it points out how far they fall short of being good enough in the sight of God. But you and I know the power that comes from the gospel and how it changed our life. Men and women of this world, they may not want to hear it and they may try to silence those of us who bring good news to them, but the gospel is the powerful remedy that God has given for the world to be forgiven of all of their sin, amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the very power of God for salvation to all who will believe. And all those who hear it and all those who receive it will be saved by it and will forever be blessed. Why will they be blessed? Because their life will change. They will get to have a relationship with the God who created them. They will be enabled to have that relationship with God because they will no longer be separated from him by their sin, but they will have been reconciled, redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross, now able to have a relationship with God, able to talk to him, able to listen and receive from him. And not only in this life are they able to do that, but we have all of eternity to look forward to, to being in his very presence, physically seeing the presence of God. If, that's, if, if we'll even be capable of it, then we will, we will. I can't wait for that moment. And we have no idea what eternity holds for those of us who get to spend eternity with him. Romans 10, 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. All who have heard, all have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? It's sobering to understand that we might be willing and we might even be obedient to take this gospel message to the world but there will be those who will not receive it. There will be those who will reject the message that we take. A lot of times that's why we don't want to share our faith with someone because we're afraid of that rejection. But when we realize and we remember what's at stake, who really cares what they think of us, amen? Who really cares what they think of us? If we really say we love God, and his Holy Spirit is in us, and we really have a love for others, then our reputation is of no concern to us. We have a love for them through the help of the Holy Spirit, and we want them to powerfully know the love of Jesus Christ. So we go, and we're willing to put ourselves on the line. We're willing to be rejected. We're willing to be laughed at. We're willing to be brushed off. It doesn't matter. And you know what? You never know. Maybe they reject God or Christ at that moment, and we feel like he's, they're rejecting us. They're not. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. But you never know how that seed will one day grab or grip their heart or their mind because the seed that you're willing to plant in them is a powerful seed. It doesn't easily go away. Once we tell them the good news, it's there. It's there in them. It will never go away. They will always remember the good news that you shared with them. Every single day or whenever the Holy Spirit reminds them of the good news, they have to do something with it. So see, it's, a, it's an ongoing, endearing form of love to share the gospel with someone recognizing that they will take that moment with them for the rest of their life. It's sobering, though, to understand that not everyone will receive the message. That there will be those that hear the simple message of God's grace and mercy, and they will push God away. Paul actually calls it disobedience, or a stubborn refusal to receive the Messiah and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, in general, teaches that a person, person's willingness to believe carries a lot more weight than their knowledge or their arguments. you got to remember Paul here is addressing his brothers and sisters, his, his Jewish brothers and sisters who were being obstinate against the gospel message. They didn't want to receive it. They were so focused on the law that God had given them earlier that they missed the grace that he was now trying to bestow upon them. John 5, verses 39 through 40, we read, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They were so focused on the law that they overlooked what the law was trying to lead them to, the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was trying to show them they weren't good enough. They couldn't get there on their own. There was no merit in their own work. The law was trying to grab a hold of their hand and lead them to the foot of the cross and to the Messiah and to the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were so focused on the law that they missed the simple message of the gospel, faith or or salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. The Bible explains that one day everyone will stand before God and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. This is what the scripture teaches, Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God her Father. The window for accepting God or confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting God through confessing Christ, his Son as our Lord and Savior, the window for that to have any benefit to us is now. It's a narrow window where we're not promised tomorrow. We know in the Gospels, Jesus says that the road to salvation comes by entering into a narrow gate. It's a narrow way to get to heaven, which means there's only one way into heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. It's by believing and confessing him as our Lord and Savior. And as we do that, all of eternity is opened up for us. The Bible goes on to say in the Gospels that narrow is the gate to life, but broad is the road to destruction. Why? Because most people are not willing to enter through the narrow gate. Most people want to continue doing life as they know it, even though they're miserable, even though there's so many weights upon their lives that they can't handle upon their, uh, on their own, they're unwilling to look to Christ as the answer. It's a very narrow road. If you want the benefit of the gift, that is salvation through eternal life in Christ Jesus, now is the time to receive it. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? The time to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is now while we were in the world. You don't want to be in heaven in eternity one day, having found yourself in the judgment of God and being made to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You won't even have to be made. It will just flow from within you because there will be no doubt to who Jesus Christ was. And in that moment, it will be a time of judgment. And though God loves you, and though God has compassion on you, God cannot allow our sinful selves into his presence, and judgment will fall upon us in that moment. That is why he sent his son Jesus into the world, to make a way of escape for you and I, to be freed up from our sin, so that we could enjoy the love and the compassion of the Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ came to redeem the world. But now we sadly understand that not everyone will receive Christ. John 1 verses 11 through 13 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. For all who do receive Jesus Christ, listen, there is nothing but good news for you, amen? There's nothing but good news for those who look upon the work that Christ did on the cross for us. He took our penalty upon himself. He shed his blood upon that cross that you and I might have eternal life. Why did the Israelites reject Jesus? As we look back through the Old Testament, we can track every passage, every scripture, every law was working really hard to point to Jesus Christ and with great detail and with a lot of understanding. Now for you and I in the church world today, we're on the other side of the birth of, cross, uh, of Christ. We're on the other side of Jesus' death on the cross. We're on the other side of his resurrection. So we can look at the Bible, we can read the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can very clearly without any fog see this message of the gospel unfold right before our eyes. But it was still not impossible for Israel to also have this in their view. The Israelites read the same passages, but they were looking for something totally different. That's really key. They were looking for something entirely different than what Jesus Christ turned out to be. They were looking for a warrior king, but Jesus came as a humble servant. When the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, the word Jesus fell on deaf ears. We go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, and we read, this powerful portion of scripture, go and say to the people, keep on hearing but do not understand. 
Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. This was Israel. Make the heart of the people dull and their eyes heavy, the blind, I'm sorry, and their ears heavy and the blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The truth of Christ was right before them all the time, but yet they could not see because they were looking for something different. Back in our text in Romans chapter 10, 17, we read, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Everyone has faith in something. Of the 7.8 billion people in the world, everyone has faith. They're all believing in something. They're all headed in a certain direction. Everyone has faith in something. Everyone believes in something. And it's verified by how every person chooses to live their life. How you live is a reflection of what you believe. How you live is a reflection of how you believe. If you want to know where you're headed, just look in a mirror and look into your own heart. What do you believe? How are you living? How are you taking your step by step, day by day? What directions are you going in life? According to this verse, our faith is directly tied into the things that we're listening to, the things that we are hearing. We can go so far as to say that our faith depends on what we listen to or who we are listening to. If we are listening to the world, then the chances are our faith is in the world and its systems and its ways and its gods. If we dictate our thoughts and our actions upon the world's systems, then our eternal destiny will follow in the same route as the world's. However, if we depend on the word of God and what God has spoken to us through his word, and we determine that our present reality is in a whole different realm in Jesus Christ than anyone else in the world. Listen, for those of us who have received the gospel message, we should be living in a whole different realm than the rest of the world, amen? We are living in the realm of victorious faith. Our faith is at work within our life. Our faith leads us in every direction in life. If we are in Christ, and in Christ we have our faith, then we are, are, are or should be experiencing victorious living victorious work of Christ, carrying things out in our lives in such a way that reflect what he's been doing on the inside of us. Romans 8, 5 through 9 says, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, they're listening to the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it's hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law, and it's incapable of doing so. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you, see if you, you, if you've come to Christ, if you know his love, if his spirit is inside of you, those of you are, uh, then you, in fact, are of, of the spirit of God and who dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to in him. How do we know if we belong to Christ or not? Simple. Are we doing the things of Christ or are we doing the things of the world? We don't even have to look into the mirror. We can simply just sit down, take a few minutes out of our day and just sit there and just contemplate ourselves. What are we doing with our time? What are we listening to? What are we watching? Where are we going? How do we spend our time? How do we invest our money? All of these things will tell us whether we are walking in this direction or whether we are walking in tandem with the Holy Spirit's power inside of us and walking in the faith that he has given us to a victorious living and to experiencing life eternal, amen? How many of you want to experience the eternal, powerful life of faith that God intended for us to experience and to live? I do, and we can. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. How do we please the Lord? We walk in faith. We read his word. We do our very best to let his spirit help us obey the word of God. We intake the word. We practice the word. That's what pleases God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to, possible to please God. Why did Abraham please God? 
and it was accredited to him as righteousness, the Bible says, because God told him to move, and he packed up his household, he packed up all of his belongings, and he set out to follow God. He had no idea where God was going to leave him, lead him. He only knew that God had promised to take him to the promised land. He only knew that God had promised to give him offspring more abundant than the stars in the sky, and he believed God, amen? What has God spoken to you through his word? What has God spoken to you through his Holy Spirit, which will always align with his word? And my question to you this morning is, have you believed him? How do you know if you believed him? Are you acting upon, by faith, that which he has spoken to you? And are you following in the directions in which he's trying to lead you? Believing in Jesus Christ takes faith. It's today's passage, in today's passage, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must hear it, we must receive it, we must believe it, and we must confess it with our mouth. That's what the Bible says. The word of God is our faith builder. If you're feeling weak in your faith today, then the simple solution is get into the word of God today. Get into the word of God tomorrow. Get into the word of God the day after because in the word you will be built up in your faith. Amen? Romans 10, 18 says, but I ask, have they not heard? Again, he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ, it only makes sense to ask the question, didn't Israel hear the message? And Paul said, not all of Israel has accepted the good news nor believed in it. Was that because they hadn't heard the message? How would you just answer that? Yes or no? Do you think that they didn't follow God because they didn't hear the message? Yes or no? It's a no. They did hear the message. They weren't following God because they didn't want to follow God. In today's passage, Paul makes it very evident that they, in fact, did hear the message. They did hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The voice he's talking about is nature. Pastor Tim, you just took a turn on me. Nature, hang with me here for just a moment. Nature bears God's message. Nature proclaims throughout the entire universe the realities of God's existence and his power. At the beginning of the study, way back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, we read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Nature testifies to the evidence of God. But does it testify to Jesus Christ and the message that Israel was supposed to hear? Paul said it did. Paul said it did because Jesus is the one who's responsible for creating the world. Let's go to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 where we read the following. In the beginning was the word. If you look up that word word, it means Jesus. It means Christ. You can replace that word word with Christ. In the beginning was the word or Christ and the Word, or Christ, was with God. And the Word, or Christ, was God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things were made through him. Through who? Through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ. And without him, not anything made, or, and without him, not anything made that was made. So Jesus was the one who made everything. Think about the mountains that you love to drive through. They were made by the hands of Jesus Christ. Think about the, the shores that you like to walk on next to the ocean. Here it's nice weather today. Perhaps some of you are headed to the beach after service. Made by the hands of Jesus Christ. Think about the urban cities that many of us drive through to work each and every day. Made by the hands of Christ. There's nothing that has been made that hasn't been made by him. He's the creator of it all. Jesus was the one who made everything. The in Psalms chapter 19, verse 1, we read that the skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
We cannot look to the majesty of the world around us and deny the fact of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The scripture here tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And he was made known to you and I. He made the entire universe. He holds everything together by his powerful word and his hands. And if we know God, then we have evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So what about Israel? Why did they not understand this message? It really comes down to this. They did not understand the message because they never knew God in the first place. They never knew God in the first place. Romans 10, 19 says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? And the answer is, of course they did. Israel was given the law. They had been given the prophets. They had been given the patriarchs as their guides. Israel not only had an understanding of these things, they did their best to live by these things each and every day. But it was a law unto themselves. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power therein. <laughs> they loved their religion. And our churches, as I mentioned last week, are filled of people who love their religion, but they deny or they don't know the very power of God that could change or address the circumstances in their lives. God is powerful. And through Jesus Christ, his son, he can more than meet our need. He can overwhelm us with a life that goes beyond our greatest understanding. Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross is powerful, but too many people are stuck in their religiosity, and it hinders the work of God through Jesus Christ from being active within them. These Israelites were so indoctrinated by the letter of the law that they missed the fact that the law was a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. The whole purpose of the law was to point to Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the law was to show them they weren't good enough, they couldn't do it, and it was meant to show them they needed a Savior, they needed a Messiah, but they didn't want to listen. They took pride in the fact of who could live by the most laws without falling or without falling short. It's almost as if they had these, these, both, these boastful bouts of, of seeing who could be the most godly according to keeping the law, at least in front of people. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the very power behind the law, which was trying to point them to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.1 says, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. See, the law had disclosed a sacrificial system by which when men or women or the people sinned, they had to come before the priests and they had to offer sacrifices. And they were okay with doing this. Where all, the, all along, the word or the law was pointing to the final sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. The spotless land, lamb of God who would one day be offered up on our behalf. His blood would be shed on the cross for you and I. And there would be no sacrifice ever needed ever, ever again. Only the work of Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross could once and for all finally meet God's demand for the sinfulness of our hearts. The old covenant was not incorrect or useless. However, its true purpose was not eternal salvation. The real purpose of the old covenant was to point people to Jesus Christ. The law was never meant to save people. It was meant to point them to he who could save them. Back in Romans chapter 10, verse 20, we read, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So here, because of the rejecting of the Israelites continually towards God, God 
tells them that he's going to try to make them jealous by opening up the way to those of us who are not Jewish, those of us who do not come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rather we Gentiles who at one point in time could care less about the things of God, never even thought about the things of God, weren't even aware of the things of God, but God would draw us by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he would allow us through the work of Christ on the cross to be engrafted into the vine of his holy people and his holy nation. How many are glad this morning that you've been engrafted into that vine and that you can say that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation that stands out as a bright light in this world, this dark world, to help lead others to that saving grace that saved us. Can I see your hand this morning? Amen. Praise God. Paul points to this passage in Deuteronomy is evidence that Israel didn't understand. Since its earliest days, they didn't understand. In fact, Paul insists this is exactly why God chose to open things up to save us Gentiles, to help provoke jealousy in them towards him so that they too would come. Romans 10.20 says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Speaking of all of us who are non-Jews. This circles back to Paul's question at the end of chapter 9 of Romans. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness failed in reaching that law? Yes. God has declared that we Gentiles who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that we too can be saved by grace through faith and have eternity with him forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 10, 21, our last verse of the chapter says, but, Israel, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The worship team can make their way back up. We've spoken many times over the last four and a half, almost five years. Message after message after message, we've talked about the patient love of God towards us. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And every day, this scripture gives us this picture of, of God towards a rebellious people with his arms outstretched. And even though they reject him day after day after day after day, here's this picture of God standing with his arms wide open, ready to receive them if they would just confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want you just to picture that in your mind right now. Picture God, a loving God, standing in front of you this morning with his arms wide open and ready to receive you. Maybe you know the love of God and that's an easy thing, just to run into his arms. Maybe today you've been rejecting him for many, many years and you're so heavy with sin, you feel like God would never want to embrace you. But here's this picture Paul has painted for us this morning of God standing before us with his arms wide open, wide open, his hands outstretched wide and ready to receive you if you would just call upon his name. At the heart of all of this unbelief is a deliberate choice to disobey, reject, and ignore what God has told the Israelites, all that he has made plain to them. He's worked really hard to make his message of grace and love plain to them. And it's so hard to comprehend that there are people who choose, even today, that would hear a message of God's grace and his love and his patience, that they would hear this message and that they would still choose to run from the grace of God and to stay where they're at in life. Yet, God remains gracious and patient. And day after day, rejection after rejection, we have the love of God standing before us with his arms open wide, just waiting to embrace us if we would just turn to him. A couple questions for you this morning. How about you? Do you recognize your need for Christ? Some of you would say, yes, absolutely. Every day I fall on my face and I call upon the name of the Lord and I cry out to him because I recognize my need for him. But how about you? Maybe there's someone in here listening online. Do you recognize your need for Christ? You're a sinner. 
And there's no hope from you apart from what Christ did for us on the cross. Will you finally come to the place of putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord and Savior? Or will you continue to persist and be obstinate? Will you continue to cling to your idols and your own way of doing things? I hope that you and I, as we have been going through the book of Romans, if we've been tracking this, I hope that God has been speaking to us, and I hope that we're learning from Israel's stubbornness and that we will not continue making the same mistake. You cannot turn things around on your own. You can't. You can't heal yourself. You can't change your circumstances. You can't make your spouse come back to you. You can't make your kids get in line. Whatever your situation is, you cannot turn it around on your own. But through the power of God's grace and love, he's just waiting to partner with you, to help you. I close with this story. In 1937, there was this architect, and his name was Frank Lloyd Wright, and he built a house for his friend. His friend was an industrialist, and his name was Hibbard Johnson. Frank called him Hib. One rainy evening, not too long after the house was built and he had moved in, he'd been there for just a while, one rainy evening, Johnson or Hib was entertaining some of his friends. They were over to his house. These were high-powered people in his, in his area of occupation. They were distinguished people in the community, and he was having this dinner party, and they were all in his uh, dinner room, his dining room, and they were eating dinner together when the roof began to leak in his new house, in Hib's new house, beautiful house, really beautiful house. He's proud of the house. He loved the house, but he's sitting with these distinguished people in his house that he's proud of, and the roof begins to leak on his bald head, drip 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 the water just continued dripping upon him until finally he just got so embarrassed that he excused himself and he went off over into the corner of the room where he called his friend who lived in Phoenix Arizona and he said Frank he said you built this beautiful house for me and listen I enjoy it very much we love the house you did a beautiful job but I've told you there's a leak in the roof I told you there's a leak in the roof and right now I'm with some friends and this part of the roof started leaking and it's dripping on my head and I'm just so embarrassed and his friend who built the house right his initial reply was because he couldn't solve the problem in that moment but his initial reply to his friend Hib was and all of his guests heard it was, well, Hib, why don't you just pick up your chair and move to a different place in the room? There are some in this room this morning, and you're so hurt by the drips of life. You ask yourself day after day, God, why, why have you done this to me? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I dealing with that? Drip, drip, drip. The drips of life, we've all experienced them. When all we need to do and all that God's trying to communicate is like, hey, pick up your chair and just move that chair closer to the feet of Jesus and the, 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 the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Just pick up your chair, get away from that drip and come and move it to the foot of the cross and let Jesus cover you. But we just sit there and we allow life to keep dripping on us and all we want to do is complain about it. Who can I call and complain about this? Who can come and fix it? Listen, friend, I'm telling you this morning, there's only one person that can take care of the drips of life that are dropping upon you and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to pick up that chair this morning and you need to move closer to him. And he's standing there with his arms wide open, with his hands wide outstretched far because he's a patient God and he's a loving God and he knows all you need to do is come to him and he'll take those arms and he'll wrap them around you and he'll embrace you he won't chastise you because of all the sins that you've committed he already knows we're sinners that's why Jesus died for our sin what he wants to do is he wants to take the blood of his son Jesus Christ and he wants to shower us in that blood this is just illustrative he wants to take the blood of Christ, the powerful blood of Christ that was sacrificed, and that blood has the power to clean us fully of our every sin. 
Don't let life drip on you any longer. Pick up your chair and move it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And let God, who's standing there with his arms wide open, wrap them around you and begin to take care of his business in you. Amen? Would you stand all over this place this morning? Maybe you're listening online or maybe you're here this morning and you're being dripped on a lot. You say, Pastor Tim, when you talk about the drips of life, it's like a flood in my life. And maybe you're tired of being drenched by the waters of this world. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ, and this isn't illustrative, this is the good news. This is incredible news. This is incredible truth. Jesus paid for our sin and those drips, and he wants nothing more than to take care of the issue for you this morning. All you need to do is come to him and let him embrace you. How do we do that? Last week, we read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which we pray often here, and that is that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. We will be covered by his grace, and there will be no more drips of life upon us. And if it is, it'll be his responsibility to take care of the leak. Amen? So this morning, if that's you, you say, Pastor Tim, I don't know Jesus personally. I've heard about him, I've heard stories, but I've never taken a step to believe or confess him as my savior. But this morning, I'm at a place where I know I need a savior. I know I need some spiritual help and guidance in my life, and I've not yet taken the step to call upon Jesus for help, but I know I need him. Most of us in this room have taken this step right here, but some of you in this room have not yet confessed Christ as your Lord. If you're here this morning or listening online and that's you, would you just simply raise your hand and say, Pastor Tim, I need to do that. I need to take care of business with God. I need my heart to get right with him. I want to pick up my chair, and I want to come to him this morning. Is there anyone here that would say, you need Christ in your life as your Savior? Is there anyone? Thank you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Over here. Keep your hand up so I can see. Maybe a little higher if you're in the back so I can see. Thank you. Is there anyone else? All right, I saw two hands. Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Of course, I couldn't see you if you're online. There's a QR code that'll come up. Hover your phone in front of that. There'll be options that come up when you click on that link. And click on salvation. And uh, it'll take 30 seconds to fill it out. But one of our pastors or one of our prayer team would love to reach out to you and congratulate you and answer your questions and pray with you and send you some information. If you raised your hand today, uh, as after we pray here in just a minute, after we sing one last song, before you leave, our prayer team is going to be up off the either side. And we want to invite you to come up. They have a gift for you. They want to pray for you. They want to answer any questions that you may have. Also... If you have a need that you just need someone to agree with you on and pray with you, maybe even anoint you with oil and pray that prayer of faith that the Bible teaches us, we also want you to come up. Our prayer team would love to take a moment to pray with you before you leave this morning, all right? Let's pray this prayer out loud, either as a moment of confession for the first time or as a moment of rededication before the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord God, I need a Savior, and I believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he gave his life on the cross in my place. He shed his blood. His blood paid in full for my sins. As he was buried, God raised him three days later, proving he was the Son of God. It is this I confess. It is this I believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God one more hand clap this morning? Again, if you raise your hand, I invite you to come up after this song. I'll come up one more time to dismiss us. But please come up. In the meantime, let's celebrate what God is doing in our midst.